0: Welcome to the Monthly Ideas Exchange Podcast, brought to you by ASX, the heart of Australia's financial markets. Each month, we'll connect you to a range of leading industry experts who'll give you a look into the finance industry and deliver valuable insights, hear about important market events, industry research, tips for your own market research, as well as innovative products to help you diversify your investment portfolio. Your host, Martin Din, has a passion for all things investing and is a major player in the investment product game, having assisted in the release of over 150 investment products since 2013 with ASX. Join him as he explores investment opportunities beyond just shares, from ETFs, rates, LICs, MFund and much more.
1: Hi everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Ideas Exchange Podcast. In August 2021, the ETF market turned 20 years old. To celebrate 20 years of ETFs, I thought let's do an episode on the history of the ETF market because although I think many of us are familiar with what ETFs are, I don't think many of us know the origins of the ETF market and how it has evolved over time. To help us navigate the ETF journey, I'll be joined by Megan Victor, head of Spider ETFs Asia Pacific from State Street Global Advisors, an ETF provider that's been there since the beginning of the ETF market. So a fun episode lined up. Come join Megan and me as we take a journey through the past, present and future of ETFs. Hi, Megan. Welcome to the Ideas Exchange podcast. It's great to have you here today.
2: Thanks so much for having me.
1: So the ETF market, it turned 20 years old earlier in August and boy, what an incredible journey it has been. As at 31 August 2021, Australian ETFs were valued at over $122 billion with 226 ETFs across a diverse range of asset classes. Interestingly, over 50% of that ETF growth has occurred over the last two years, which is a number that will impress anyone. So Megan, I guess... A great place to start is I wanted to talk about the ETF journey and I wanted to rewind the clock back 20 years when the first ETF launched in Australia. So when I think of ETFs, Megan, I think of ETFs as a financial innovation, uh, which has changed the way we've invested. And I guess with any innovation, I like to ask myself the following question. How did this idea come about in the first place? So, Megan, in the context of ETFs, how did this ETF idea come about in the first place?
2: Martin, that's a fantastic question. And I think we're talking about the last 20 years, but I think we need to go back just a little bit further. An ETF started in the US, um, the first US-listed ETF launched in 1993, and that ETF was actually born out of a crisis. And though ETFs were developed to allow institutional investors to be able to invest their cash, And that saw the S&P 500 ETF. So it was an ETF that tracked the S&P 500, the top 500 stocks in the US, and it wrapped into an ETF wrapper. And now that's the largest ETF in the world. If we fast forward to 2001, we saw the launch, as you rightly pointed out, the launch of the first ETFs in the Australian market. Interestingly, they came to um, the market at the end of August, 24th of August in 2001. That was just before September 11. You think about where we sit today, just before September 11, another poignant milestone in in history. And we saw that the ETF in Australia, again, around um, the top 200 stocks in this instance in Australia and the top 50 stocks were brought to market. As an innovation, it democratised investing, meant that that not only were institutional investors able to invest in a diverse range of stocks, so the top 200 stocks in a single trade, but also retail investors were able to invest as well, which revolutionised the investment marketplace here in Australia.
1: Yeah, I think not many people know, if they're not an ETF nerd like myself, that ETFs, yes, you're right. They are born out of a financial crisis. And some interesting points that you made there is that ETFs, they were initially, I guess, promoted to institutional investors as a way to invest their spare cash. And now ETFs have grown so much in popularity to financial advisors and investors um, because they love the fact that you know ETFs can provide that instant diversification and allow them to spread their risk in a very simple and cost-effective way. So I guess now that we have an idea of how the ETF idea began, I wanted to ask, how has the ETF market evolved since that time? And before you respond, Megan, I think this is a perfect question for you. As you've already mentioned that State Street, you were there since the very beginning of the ETF market. So I don't think there's a better question to ask uh, than yourself. So can you take us through the ETF journey and how it has evolved since State Street um, listed its first ETF back in 2001?
2: Thank you so much. And look, you're right, State Street Global Advisors were the first to launch ETFs here in Australia. At the time, they were called Street Tracks. So some of you may recall uh, Street Tracks is the name, and we it's still referred to um, today. And a lot of people also know us just for STW as the ticker but regardless of, of the product it was actually the the innovation from a from a product development perspective that um, we've seen change over this period. And and we might have been the first, but there's been so many more issuers that have come on the journey with us. We've actually seen the number of products available change. There's been diversification in the offerings that are made available for investors. So in the beginning, there were core holdings that we spoke about before. But over time, what we've actually seen is the offerings go much broader now into sectors. We're starting to see smart beta. We're starting to see ESG. Like there's just been this evolution Of product. I think we've also seen um, the take up of ETFs actually change as well. If we look back to the beginning in Australia, we spoke about the institutional investors, self managed super funds were the first to adopt them in Australia right at the very beginning. But what we have seen over the last 20 years is a shift in demographics. So it's in the number of of younger investors start to really take up ETFs as well. We did some research earlier on this year at State Street. And as part of that research, what we saw is that. Just under half of the new investors this year in 2021 are millennials. So about 47% of them are millennials, 23% of them are Gen X, and 25% of them of investors are baby boomers. Now, if we were to go back two decades ago, only 24% of investors were actually millennials, and the majority were Gen X's and baby boomers. So we've seen that shift in the demographic change. And a lot of that's come down to product development too. So now we can actually invest in an ETF, as you would know, Martin, with, you can just buy one share. So we've seen this growth of micro-investing as well and, the, and and the improvement of technology is making ETFs much more accessible for investors as well. So technology has really been on a journey for the last 20 years as well, which has been an enabler for investors to actually make them more accessible for investors as well. So I think that they're probably the big key things that we've seen over the last 20 years.
1: Yeah, I think, you know, your point about millennial investors, that's where that growth has come from. And, uh, you know, seeing that evolve from being ETFs being primarily promoted to institutional investors and then going to direct retail and then now to millennials has been incredible. And, you know, you mentioned an incredible stat. You know, over the last twelve months, you said I think it was fifty percent of investors that went into ETFs were millennial investors. I'm not a millennial investor, but I am under thirty nine, <laughs> so I'm actually one of those people that have added to that statistics. And you know, you mentioned some great points uh, in terms of why millennials or younger investors like ETFs. And you know, for me, one of my favorite things about ETFs, yes. One is you can build a diversified or you can use it as a core part of your portfolio. but the second reason why I really like it is that I can bet on certain mega trends and sectors. I think that's something that a lot of my friends, younger friends, um, that's something that they've said that has really appealed to them about ETFs because you know they can invest in things that are really resonating uh, or they're really close to like cloud computing or cyber technology or video games um, and eSports. Uh, but yeah, you've provided some very interesting insights and stuff that I can definitely resonate with. So we've talked about how the ETF market, you know, has evolved over the last twenty years, and this is not surprisingly also coincided with the ETF also becoming increasingly popular and the funds man- under management. You know, I've ju- I-, I published the report and I found that over the last twelve months, the funds under management has increased by seventy percent, and to me, that's absolutely mind boggling. So my question to you, Megan, is can you tell us what you think has driven ETF growth?
2: So I think if we go back to what we were just talking about before, we've had an environment where which um, we, none of us expected, so we've been part of a pandemic. Um, to your point, there's been more people at home that have been researching, they have been spending time getting a better understanding of um, investment markets and a whole bunch of other things too. Uh, so therefore, there's a greater interest in investing and that accessibility comes into play too. So if we talk about that demographic, such as the younger individual, now something that the interest is absolutely there. But I also think that when we look at the users of ETFs more broadly, they're becoming mainstream. If we go back 20 years ago and we think about the market 20 years ago, let's just take a segment of the market, say it might be the direct investors or the financial advisors. They'd have really two options that they'd choose to invest in. They would really probably go down either direct equities or they'd be looking at managed funds. And you think about the costs and so forth of doing that. In some instances, it was quite high. We've seen over that 20-year period, we've seen that shift and technology has driven a lot of that too, as well as regulation. But if we look at where we stand today, that growth has really been significantly driven by the reduction in costs. So there's a cost-conscious approach to people investing now more than ever. And ETFs do provide that low cost accessibility to the market, but also the ability for people to execute as we spoke about before, you can play those themes that you were just talking about you and your friends, you've got the accessibility to do that. But it's also about the fact that you can access more asset classes today. Um, via ETFs, just as you were saying before. Now, who would have thought that you could access gold through an ETF or silver or copper? You've got commodities that you can now physically back securities in many instances, assets that you can actually invest in via an ETF. So that growth, and I think that will continue. The other thing I would say is that in Australia, the market construct is changing. So when we go back 20 years, we were looking at ETF issuers or even 10 years, ETF issuers were bringing product to market and in the main, those issuers were Bringing market cap product to market, but today we've got more choice again, and that choice is not just about whether you, the um, sector you're investing in, but it's a construct. So you can now buy an active ETF as well, so an active managed fund, which has also seen that growth in the assets under management in the market in Australia.
1: Yeah, I mean, ETFs have really democratized investing, and like you said, there's all these strategies out there, and I think we take it for granted, or at least for me as investors, that. A lot of these areas and markets previously were difficult to get access to. You mentioned gold; there's no one there going to, you know, go and buy physical gold. So, ETFs provide a structure that can allow investors to access particular strategies and invest and markets that were historically difficult to get access to. Um, you know, and some of them were just only simply available to institutional investors. So, I think, you know, that was a great point there. With the drivers of ETF growth, was there anything there that surprised you in terms of what drove ETF growth?
2: From my perspective, I think it was more the the really singular focus on things like the gaming and so forth. When we really get down into those the from the really fine sectors, but I think the other pleasing thing, whether it's be surprising, it's probably more pleasing, is that ESG is no longer it's no longer that tick box. It's becoming mainstream, and we've spoken about ESG for a long time. The gene in the main about the governance, but now we're starting to see ESG really coming into just being you know, the way things are being done, and we've seen that um, come through in the flows that have come into. The market in Australia in particular over the last few years as well.
1: Yeah, I was clading actually. I was crunching actually some of the numbers, in for ESG ETFs, I think they accumulated over one point five billion dollars since the beginning of the year. So that's surpassed that uh, level of two thousand and twenty, which was already about a banner year, and. I think you're right. You know, investors, they're becoming more conscious about investing in sustainable companies. You know, I think they're rec- beginning to recognize that a lot of these companies, they the ones that adopt a more sustainable approach, they're probably in the best positions to grow, right? Because uh, there's, there's like a shift to a net zero economy and investors are looking for opportunities in investing in companies that can develop the technologies to transform the economy uh, into a net zero economy. So um, some good points there about the growth in ESG, ETFs. Now, we've talked a lot about the journey about the ETF market since the beginning and what's happened over the last 30, 20 years, which I think is a perfect segue to talk about a recent survey uh, that you conducted in uh, June and July uh, of this year in relation to the ETF market. Now, I think you conducted the survey at a pretty opportune time, um, given ETFs, you know, they've been around for 20 years. And I'm sure you would have found some pretty interesting insights in light of the current global pandemic. So, Megan, I was wondering, can you share some of the results from the survey?
2: Sure. I think when we think about the um, COVID-19 pandemic, it did actually bring really extreme challenges across the globe, as we know, and that actually impacted on the liquidity um, of nearly all investment vehicles and asset classes that were available. But if we look at the challenges that we experienced, and we actually Look at ETFs in isolation, they performed very well. They provided market participants with the liquidity and the price discovery metrics when it was most needed at that point in time. And investors were actually drawn to ETFs during this period, as you mentioned, Martin. They were drawn in that way because of, they took advantage of the market downturns and they saw the ETF vehicle as being the way to take advantage. Um, What we actually saw was that if we look at it from an investor's perspective, 58% um, of the current ETF investors that we surveyed, and there was 2,160 ETF investors who we surveyed, 58% of the current ETF investors said that they would increase their allocation to, to ETFs. They had increased it during that coronavirus period. And 68% of millennial ETF investors increase their allocation during that same period, while only 45% of baby boomers increase their allocation. I think the trend there is they all increased their allocation. It was just a percentage by which, but it was close to 50% or, or upwards of people increasing their allocation. And that just goes to show that long-term investors were actually taking advantage of some of, the, of these downturns, using ETFs as the best product to actually Um, take advantage um, of the opportunity.
1: You know, I think you revealed some pretty interesting research and you've mentioned about the millennials, but I think the one thing that really stood out for me when I looked at your research was actually the average amount invested into ETFs. So Megan, you mentioned some really interesting insights from your research, um, you know, in particular about the millennials, in terms of the number of millennials investing, in in particular in the context of uh, the coronavirus pandemic. But I think one of my favorite stats when I was reading your research was the actual average amount that was allocated to ETFs. I found, and correct me if I'm wrong, Megan, that the average amount invested into ETFs was around 175000 Was that correct?
2: That is correct. What we saw was that the average initial investment of ETF investors, new ETF investors, is, was actually $62,000, which was half of what was invested 20 years ago. So, what that's showing is 20 years ago, investors would have been in, use, investing more than $125,000 into an ETF. But today, they're now only investing $60,000. And that's ma- meaning that more people can invest. So, it's no longer an investment just for the wealthy. It's that democratization that we were talking about before.
1: Th- those are some really important points. And, you know, I've spoken to my brothers and sisters. And one of the reasons why they've actually Commenced investing is because the minimum investment amounts are a lot lower right now. Yeah. Um, I know that for unlisted managed funds, some of the invest minimum investment amounts can be twenty to thirty thousand dollars. And you know, my brother and sisters they're under the age of thirty, and you know, they don't have that money lying around. But now there is a proliferation of, I guess, financial online brokers that charge or provide that have very low minimum investment amounts and it's made investing so much more accessible to this younger generation so we've talked a bit about the coronavirus pandemic and one question that a lot of people uh, have asked about and you just need to google coronavirus <laughs> pandemic and etfs is how did etfs do during the coronavirus pandemic and just to give you a bit of context you know there are a lot of people or naysayers and you know we spend time trying to educate those people is that ETFs they you know during a market sell off they will heighten volatility they'll cause high volatility because investors market participants in ETFs they're going to run for the door Megan how did ETFs perform during the coronavirus pandemic
2: well, I think it's a great question. I think it's a valid question too for those people that need that are looking for a better understanding of an ETF. We have to think about the fact that trading volumes, particularly in March last year, March 2020, the volumes of ETFs um, and the trading volumes increased significantly and that actually highlighted the fact that ETFs actually function very well because you've got to remember the liquidity of an ETF is based on the liquidity of the underlying assets that sit within that. So the underlying holdings drives the liquidity of that ETF. So we actually saw that the, the ETFs acted as a buffer. But they also acted as sources of liquidity in times of distress within the market. So we saw that they did what they were supposed to do. They provided that opportunity for people to access the market, as you spoke about, but also gave people certainty around um, the liquidity profile and, and prices for um, the ETS, whether they be securities, so equity, sorry, or bonds.
1: Yeah, that's spot on. ETFs, I just wanted to give a couple of stats that I was uh, just crunching just just before um, us talking, Megan. And at the peak of the sell-off in March 2020, ETF trading activity was more than four times higher than the monthly average in 2019. So, you know, I think that what that really shows is that, you know, investors, they were able to enter and exit their investments quite quickly. And I think it's really important to note that, you know, during that sell-off, market participants, such as market makers and liquidity providers, they were continually providing prices. They didn't exit the door. And one really interesting fact is that in March, the peak of the sell-off, ETFs had inflows. So despite everything that happened, there was actually more money going into ETFs. So what that showed was that investors they were staying the course and even in some cases increasing their allocation. So I think you know spot on ETFs they've been around for 30 years now and they've withstood numerous shocks. You know you've got the global financial crisis, the Asian financial crisis, and now you have the coronavirus pandemic and it shows that you know the ETF structure you know it does work even during market sell-offs and turbulent market conditions. So we've covered the past and the present for ETFs. So I guess the only remaining question to ask you Megan is what does the future for ETFs look like?
2: If only we had a crystal ball, Martin. Um, I think that, you know, we can't obviously predict the future, but what we can say is there's some great foundational trends that, can, that will see the continued innovation of ETFs going forward. We spoke about ESG, and I honestly believe that that will be a really strong point going forward for the Australian market and more broadly. I do think that we'll start to see that being integrated completely within the way in which we um, invest today, and that will become the norm. I think what we'll also see is that improvement in technology. We'll see the accessibility of of ETFs also increase over time and being a major contributor to portfolio construction and asset allocation. To the point that you mentioned before um, with regards to the way in which you and your friends have been accessing ETFs more broadly, I think there's still a place for ETFs to remain as a core to an investment portfolio and that ability to use that satellite approach with using thematics um, more broadly to create, to construct your portfolios. But one thing I would say, and one of the constants will be that there's a need for financial advice. So if you don't know, find out. And I think that's the important thing, whether you go and do your own research or you get some help from an investment professional, I think it's really, really important that you do that.
1: That's absolutely spot on. And uh, you know, speaking of financial advisors, over the years there has been increasing adoption of financial advisors who have started using ETFs. Uh, you know, we've seen major reforms in the financial advice industry, and that's kind of pushed. Uh, a lot of financial advisors to move to that independent operating model. You know, just to give our listeners a bit of context, most of the models outside of the independent operating models, it generally restricted investor or financial advisors, their choice of what investments they could select for their clients. But now that we're seeing more advisors move to that independent operating models, have more freedom of choice, so we're finally seeing, you know, financial advisors using ETFs or finally incorporating ETFs on behalf of their clients. And really, just to throw another number out there, uh, the advisor ratings team they found out that at present, um, the number of advisors operating under that independent operating model is um, around fifty-eight percent. Um, but yeah, uh, the future looks bright. Um, yes, we don't have a crystal ball. But final question before we wrap it up, um, Megan, you know, our podcast is designed to create you know a lot of education uh, for investors to learn about the investment opportunities out there and different tools that they can use. So for investors who want to learn more about ETFs, uh, do you have any recommended resources that investors can turn to?
2: Definitely. So I think that um, whether it's ourselves or any of the issuers in the markets, we all have really strong educational portals within our own website. So I would encourage you to go and have a look, understand what you're investing in, un- look under the bonnet, understand the cost, understand the, um, the holdings that you you have access to, understand um, the broad offering and the methodology also, that which index provider are they using, um, what's the methodology that they're adopting. It's really important to understand some of those more detailed points about the ETF you're investing in past the name and what what the asset class is and the cost. You really need to understand. The ASX has some awesome educational material as well, whether it be on the website, the investor days that you host. I think that you do a really good job in supporting investors in the marketplace and it's a great opportunity for people to get access to, to further information as well. And also um, the financial advisors also have a lot of information to and in bro- investment brokers. There's a lot out there. Even if we look at some of the robo-advice apps that you mentioned before, that micro-investing and so forth, they've now got some really easy to understand, simple um, information for you to also latch on to um, if you're just starting out investing in ETFs also.
1: Yeah, thanks, Megan. Right now, there's just so much education out there for investors to turn to and some great sources for our listeners to turn to. So, Megan, that wraps up this month's episode. I wanted to thank you for taking time out of your day to share your insights into the journey of the ETF market over the last 20 years. Hopefully, after the lockdown ease, uh, we can all get together and celebrate 20 years of ETFs over a drink or two. We look forward to having you back down on the road.
2: Thank you so much. It's fabulous. Take care. Stay safe.
1: Well, that concludes today's episode. As an ETF nerd, this was such a fun episode learning about how the ETF market was born out of the stock market crash in 1987 to how much it has evolved since that time in terms of product development. In next month's episode, I'll be joined by Steve Johnson, CIO at Forager Funds Management, as we take a deep dive into Forager's investment philosophy and what sort of factors they take into account when selecting investments for their portfolios. Until then, thank you for listening and we look forward to you joining us next month.
0: Are you keen to learn more? Why not visit the ASX blog, asx.com.au slash blog for a wide range of articles, videos and insights from ASX experts, listed companies and investment professionals. ASX Limited, ABN 98008 624691 and its Related Bodies Corporate, ASX, makes content available for podcast content and the content may be downloaded on these conditions. ASX grants a non-exclusive license to download the content for private and non-commercial use only. You may not use the content for any other purpose, including without limitation distribution to a third party or implying a connection between you or any third party and ASX, its offices, employees or contractors. The views, opinions or recommendations of the author or speaker in the content are solely those of the author or speaker and do not in any way reflect the views, opinions, recommendations of ASX. The content is provided for educational purposes only and is not intended to include or constitute financial product advice. You should obtain independent advice from an Australian Financial Services licensee before making any investment decisions. ASX does not give any representation or warranty with respect to the accuracy, reliability, completeness or currency of the content. To the extent permitted by law, ASX and its employees, officers and contractors are not liable for any loss or damage arising in any way, including by way of negligence from or in connection with any information provided or omitted or from anyone acting or refraining to act in reliance on this information.